Hello, everyone. Welcome to LocalJobNetwork.com radio. I'm Tim Muma, and you're listening to Moving Up the Ladder, a podcast with the goal of improving your career, whether you're trying to advance at your current organization or maybe just looking for a greater opportunity. Of course, we all face different obstacles in our search for professional success, but some do have a more unique challenge facing them. Our guest today has carved out a path for herself as a voice actor, a seemingly perfect fit for an individual who is blind as our guest, Satana Hauri, happens to be. Satana has built an impressive list of clients in the industry, and there's a good chance you've probably come across her voice at some point in your life. Satana, thanks for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Well, I'm excited to talk to you, and uh, as I mentioned, you you seem very energetic, and I'm looking forward to some of the things you're going to bring up with us today. Uh, before we jump into sort of the topic that we're looking into and the idea of um, your career, why don't you fill our listeners in a little bit on what you have done professionally? Oh, wow. Over the course of my professional career, I have worked as a technical support representative for uh, Microsoft. I did customer service work for Adobe. That's actually where my husband and I met when, when uh, we were both working as um, okay. technical support rep for Microsoft. I've sold and taught uh, adaptive technology to other blind individuals. And I've been a musician for the better part of my life, singing and playing keyboards and uh, doing recording engineering and all of that kind of background. So, And now I would say voiceover is my full-time vocation. All right, great. Well, it's cool to hear the diverse jobs you've had so far and, and where you've gone without your, throughout your career. Uh, as you mentioned, you, you, know, you are blind. You have been since birth. And you had mentioned that to me as being important in a way, as opposed to somebody who maybe did lose their sight uh, later in life for some reason. But you having been blind from birth, how does that affect your perspective on things? I think it's a little bit easier because I didn't lose anything. I simply never had it. And so for me, there's no sense of loss. Mm -hmm. I simply grew up adapting because that was how it was for me. So I didn't go through... Um, the frustration of having something and then not having something. Mm -hmm. So I don't pine for sight in any way. At least I don't. It, it's, ju it's just I don't really have a sense of what I'm missing. Okay. And the world's pretty great without it for me. So, um, <laughs> yeah. So I don't feel like I'm fighting blindness, I guess is how I could say it. It, sure. it is. And what I want to do is make the world a place where... Uh, it's more acceptable and it's okay. And the world is more designed universally so that it works for everybody. Right. Well, you bring up an interesting point there as far as not feeling like you had to fight anything or that you lost anything. How would you describe for yourself then being able to sort of understand and accept that you do have a disability compared to the majority of the general public, but also I'm sure wanting to feel like you're being treated the same and that you have every opportunity that anybody else does. How do you sort of mentally handle that and, and how have you done that throughout your career? I think some days are better than others. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's the way I can say it. Uh, it's one of those things where it's a blessing and a curse, right? I mean, I have a disability that if you see me, it's very evident, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and actually, I think that that's one of those things where because I don't have any sight, as opposed to someone who might have partial vision, right. it makes it really clear. I come with a cane and or a guide dog, so it's really clear to someone that I can't see up front, whereas someone with partial vision may come in and, and uh, it's harder for people to kind of get it because they don't know what is that person able to see, what can they not see. It's not as clear. So there are certain situations in my life where... I may go somewhere with my husband and I'll say to him, all right, we're here together, but you know what? Don't come in with me because this is the first time we've been here and I want the person that I'm going to be seeing to deal with me directly and if you come in, they're going to deal with you. Hmm. Things like that. 
I grew up mainstreamed. They called it mainstreaming. They call it inclusion these days. But right. I grew up in, in your normal neighborhood school. Okay. And oftentimes I was the only blind person there. So I think I got it pretty early on that I was different in some way. I think that as one gets older, having to deal with that acceptance is a little bit trickier. You know, when you're a kid, you expect to be treated like a kid. Yeah, I mean, you know, of course, for anyone who has not been in a situation like yours, it's nearly impossible for us to truly understand what you're what you've gone through. And and we're not trying to make it seem like it was a sad life for you in any way. But it, it makes it sound like for yourself, you were always sort of comfortable with everything. But it was the outside reaction that might have affected maybe even your perception on how people saw you. Sure. And I think that um, I think that's really common. I, I can speak to the blindness community side of that. People put limits. Uh, on other people all the time. And I think um, growing up as a person with no sight, you know, generally speaking, and, and I realize I'm generalizing here, you know, if you're white, you grow up in a white family. If mm-hmm. you're Latina, you grow up in a Latina family. You know what I'm saying? So if you have a disability, though, it's really common. Like nobody else in my family, in my immediate family, is blind. Right. So I'm experiencing it and they're experiencing it, but they've never experiencing, experienced it. So they're coming at it from their own box and their own viewpoint as well. Right. Well, you know, I wanted to get into the idea of, of course, careers. That's what we talk about on our podcast and employment. And you, you mentioned the idea of people maybe putting limits on individuals, whether it be because of whatever factor it's going to be. In your case, of course, people would think that your blindness would prevent you from doing a lot of things. When did you start thinking about what type of career or job or what types of things you would want to do? I mean, did that start early for you in in thinking about that process? Did it develop over time? Uh, How was it different maybe because of your blindness? I mean, walk us through that a little bit. I grew up playing the piano and singing. And so I actually started performing at a relatively young age. I was writing my own material by the time I was four. Um, So I was playing out by the time I was like six. So it wasn't like I waited until high school to think about it. Right. Uh, it was a big part of my childhood. My parents actually built me a home recording studio. And when I was a teenager, you know, I did whatever anybody needed me to do. So people came over and I produced or arranged or played keys or engineered or whatever it was that hmm. that particular person needed done. Um, so music was always a path. I stepped away from that path. Uh, kind of in my 20s and, and then kind of came back to it after a, a, a while. I, I went toward more of a technological route. Okay. But I, th- I think, wow, that's it's a great question and I'm not really sure. Um, I think it was always kind of there because it was it, I was just always working on some level, even at a young age. Right. Was that something that just came from inside yourself? I mean, you had this love for music and you just went with it? Was it something your parents were really just supportive of and, and pushed you toward? I mean, how did that all work as a as a kid, obviously being successful? I mean, you can use that term. You're talking about writing your own music and producing things for people. Um, just what was that like in terms of your motivation and, and the support you had? I think it varied in different parts of my life. I think when I was young, you know, uh, early childhood, I definitely had a, a huge love of it, and my parents supported it. And as I grew into my teenage years, I wanted a little bit more independence, uh, and that was kind of tricky for my dad because he really wasn't willing to let go. <laughs> uh, and that might have had some impact on why I stepped away from it uh, in my 20s mm-hmm. a little bit. But yeah, I, I mean, I still really do have a love for all the musical side. I've done, a, I've, I still, right now, I still have a church gig, 
um, and I still work with a local improv group, and they're a blast. And I've done restaurants and parties and weddings and things like that. That's not my passion. So well, I think what I've finally gotten to is a place where I have a sense of what I want to do with my music these days, whereas it took me a long time to, to get to that place. Right. How does that feel? How does that look? How does that work in terms of we hear about, because we don't experience, the, the heightened senses, that your other senses sort of pick up the slack for whatever you've lost or don't have? I mean, did that play a role in terms of the sound of music and the, the feel of the keys? I mean, did that all resonate with you or was that something that just came more naturally? Um, well, I think it comes naturally in the way that sight comes naturally. You have it and you use it and you practice it and you learn and grow with it. And so that's the way my brain is wired for all those other senses. They just... I've just had the use over time and the practice over time. So if they're better, it's simply because they've been used more. Hmm. How has that? Yeah, I think it has affected maybe the way I play piano. I mean, obviously, I'm not looking at the piano, so I'm thinking of it in terms of the way it feels. And I, I do teach a few students, and, and I talk about that a lot, about feeling it tactically. Because, you know, if you're busy looking at the music or looking at the audience, right. you've got to be able to feel where you are tactically. So I actually think a lot of piano players experience it that way although that's not necessarily the way they were taught in the beginning. I have perfect pitch, and I don't, I don't know. They say that's genetic. I don't necessarily think that is or is not related to my blindness. I, I couldn't say for sure. Right. I do seem to know a lot of blind people who have it, and I don't know if that's just because, again, we've used our hearing more, and so we sure. kind of, uh, you know, I'm not sure. It's, you know, it's probably some kind of combination of both. But, I mean, I yeah. I think to your point, you, you obviously can't use sight like anyone else might compensate in some way. So you're you're utilizing that hearing side. And I don't want to focus too much on the, on the music necessarily because, uh, obviously, you have a another career of your own right now. But one more thing I wanted to ask because I'm curious. My wife is learning to play piano. My son plays piano. And you mentioned, obviously, you, you can't look at the notes. And if you're playing the piano, I how do you learn to, to play the piano when you can't see? I did it all by ear. Really? And I still do most of it that way. I did teach myself how to read Braille music at it as an adult, because Braille music does exist. Okay. Um, it never, it wasn't even a, uh, brought up when I was a kid, but it is out there, and I did, I did learn it. And you can play with one hand and read with the other. Sure, sure. <laughs> Which is a bit of a skill to develop, but it is doable. Still means one has to memorize the music to get your hand off the page. Right, but, right. you know, it, it is a definitely, it, it is a doable thing. But yeah, I, you know, I learned most of it by ear. And so consequently, I, I, I do a lot of great improv. Like I can just sit <laughs> down and that's one of the things I love about my improv gig is that I don't have to prepare anything. I walk in, I sit down and whatever uh, the, the folks on stage throw at me, I just make it up. <laughs> I, that's, that's awesome. I would love to hear, hear something like that. That'd be really cool. But I, I'm just fascinated by the whole aspect of, of what you've been able to do and, and accomplish. And um, of course, as we talk about blindness, you know, it can be a challenge. It is a challenge. There are certain things that you might have to uh, compensate for, as we talked about. But was there anything that specifically caused you the most trouble because of your blindness? I mean, something that that you just thought, oh, this is really something I've struggled with or something that was a roadblock for you? I think the two biggest roadblocks for any blind person are transportation and the printed word. Mm -hmm. Transportation is probably a bigger one than the printed word because there's so much technology these days that makes the printed word relatively easily accessible. Yeah. But there is still time that is taken in taking something uh, that you you might get in the mail that's in print and having to turn it into a format that's readable. Okay. And then having to label it in such a way that you can file it away and be able to find it the next time you need it. 
you know, you can look at it, throw it in a file. I have to scan it first. Okay. And then put it in a brailler and label it. Or uh, the other way of doing it is to, uh, there are devices which allow you to, like, uh, do a, like a barcode label. Hmm. And you stick a little sticker on the, the piece of paper, and then when you tap it with a, the pen or the iPhone or whatever you choose to use, it will tell you what it is. Regardless, it's all time-consuming. Right. It's just, it's just inefficient. It's inefficient is what it is. I think those are the biggest obstacles, and of course, just the general attitudes of people, mm-hmm. I think, can really be a big obstacle. Again, and I, and I mentioned this a little bit before, when people put their own views on another person, eventually that person can, can assimilate those views. Mm-hmm. And so, a lot of times, the limitations that we think we have are limitations that other people have handed us, and we have just heard them so often that we internalize them. But they're not based in reality. They're based in somebody else's story that we've come to believe. And that can in itself be a barrier. So how do you fight through that? How do you, how do you get over that feeling or, or whatever they might be projecting on you? I think it's gotten easier over time because I think I've just gotten to a point where I get that it's their issue and not mine. Mm-hmm. And I think I've gotten through enough struggles that I just know that there's probably a workaround. Now, this is something I was going to ask a little bit later, but since we're sort of on a subject similar to that, I mean, throughout your time working, did you ever feel like you did end up being discriminated against because of your blindness, whether it be, um, you know, as you said, it's it's evident when you're in a face-to-face conversation or you meet someone as opposed to if you're talking over the phone or doing something uh, remotely. Uh, has that come up? Have there been times where you've had to sort of, I don't want to I don't know, turn the other cheek or, or just, as you said, find a way to deal with it at the time? I don't feel like that in, in uh, voiceover work because mm-hmm. nobody knows. It's I do all of it online. I do all of it through the phone and through email and the web. And so it's kind of cool because I never ha- really have to ask that question in this career. Okay. Uh, and it was one of the things I liked uh, working, uh, doing technical support too, as I did it all over the phone. And so nobody knew I couldn't see. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but yeah, the, I mean, those things have come up. And I think that's sort of always a question that people with disabilities are asking themselves. At least it is for me. It's, okay, did they do that for me because I couldn't see and they were feeling sympathetic? Or did they not give me the job because I couldn't see and they were fearful? Or they couldn't imagine? I mean, one of the most frequent questions I I get or the assumptions that people make is that I need an elevator instead of a flight of stairs. Hmm. And for me, if somebody can't imagine how I can navigate a flight of stairs, (laughs) it's going to be pretty hard for them to imagine how I could sit next to them and be an equal employee contributing to a team. Right. Does that make any sense? Yeah. Oh, no, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. So um, one of the best stories I have is uh, there was a person uh, who wanted to do dueling pianos. Hmm. And so I went to to try out to be his partner. And my daughter was there and my husband was with me. And this person said to me, you know, I just can't work with you because I don't have any way to make eye contact with you in the middle of the performance and, and, you know, sort of connect that way and figure out what our next move is by looking at you. (laughs) Just like, (laughs) well, okay. I've been doing music for, I don't know, 30 plus years. I think that I've dealt with this before and found ways to manage it. If you don't want to deal with it, I probably don't want to deal with you. That was kind of my reaction. And I didn't say that out loud, but that was my thought process. A lot of times I think when I come up against discrimination, for me, it's like, all right, well... 
I probably don't want to deal with this person anyway, if that's the way they think. I don't want to be the one who has to make the change, because hmm. that's a tremendous amount of work. Right. It really is, and it gets exhausting. And it was a great lesson for my daughter. On the other side of that coin, the person really could have been saying, you know, I don't really like the way you play, and you just don't fit. Hmm. But they use the, you know, you never know what somebody's really thinking. Yeah. So, and that's something to remember is you never know what the person is really thinking. <laughs> no, that's true. <laughs> and, and, and the other way to think about it is, you know, I think there are a lot of people who, who do have fears or concerns that don't say them out loud. And they say something else like, well, you know, well, you're, you're not qualified for the job or whatever it is, when really the issue is they're afraid of the blindness in some way, but they don't say it. You never know. Right. So I think it's an issue that's always there, and I think people can get quagmired and, oh, that's discriminatory, instead of going, all right, well, whether it is or it isn't, I, I got to work through it, slash around it, and, you know, just keep moving. Sure. Well, clearly, I mean, you've had extreme success in your career, in both, as you talked about, on the musical side, and uh, we did want to talk obviously about the voice acting because that's where you're at. And as I said, you've carved out a, a great career for yourself. What really sparked your interest in this? What, how did you come about thinking this was a path to go down? As you talk about, you were so involved with music and then the technical side. Uh, where, did, where did the voice acting idea come from? You know what? I've wanted to do voice acting forever and a day. Really? And I just never got off my butt. And <laughs> I, I just never got up off the couch and made the demo. And so it was a friend of mine who was all excited because she was going to go and get some local voice training and do her own demo. And I thought, she has no experience in this industry whatsoever. Right. I mean, because to me, the music is an extension of it. It's, mm -hmm. it's, all, it's still all the entertainment industry. And I thought, wow, she's going to get up and do this. That is so inspiring. I, I got to do this too, because this is ridiculous. I've been saying I want to do it forever, <laughs> and I just need to go do it. So uh, it was really her making a move that finally got me to get up and, and just do my demo. And then it just went from there. I mean, how does that work? Did you end up, was there a turning point that you felt like it was a big gig that you had or it was a certain project that just, you know, you took off from there? I mean, how did it all happen for you? I got a subscription to Voices.com and they're a website where you, the voice talent pays a membership fee and then jobs are emailed to voice talents and voice talents try out for those jobs. Okay. And so I started auditioning and... I really started auditioning. I did everything that popped into my inbox. I mean, there were things that I auditioned for that I probably shouldn't have auditioned for. And I just auditioned for everything. And uh, I started getting jobs. And that was when it was like, oh, this is working. This is really great. I love this. I, I mean, even the auditions I love, because mm -hmm. every audition is different. You know, there are certain categories you know, there's sort of the corporate narration, there's commercials, there's, you know, character voices, there are different categories. But within those categories, every job is its own unique thing. And it's, they're all fun and interesting. And uh, so I, I was just having fun auditioning. And then I was getting jobs and people were paying me to do this stuff. And it was <laughs> great. So, so what happened from there is that I just started to take massive action. I had success and I thought, all right, I can keep playing this game. Or I can, I can get myself a mentor who really knows how to strategically play this game. And so I hired myself a coach, and he told me all sorts of really great things that helped move me forward quickly. Uh, so that, that's, that's one of the things that really helped me. 
So do you have any favorite uh, styles or characters that, uh, that you've done or any, any projects that you really enjoyed working on? Um, I was a talking dog once, <laughs> which was really, really fun. And, uh, it was, it was for this video that was going to be played at somebody's birthday party and they were, it was going to be played like a one time. You'll never see it. I never saw the final. Really? So it was actually, there were, there are two dogs in the video. And uh, I was the older dog, and it was just, it was the script was just amazingly fun. Uh, so you, you know my next question, though can we hear, can we hear the voice? <laughs> what was the voice? You know, the voice was actually just sort of a like a snarky kind of sarcastic. But then I had to do things like I had to laugh. <laughs> <laughs> You know, like laughing dog, that kind of crazy thing. <laughs> uh, there's another one. I was a, I, I was in a Facebook game, well, and I got cool. to do things like find this game, free spin, free spin, you run. Oh. Uh, that kind of a voice. There's an Empire Today commercial, Empire Today carpet, uh, where I'm a talking baby girl, and uh, it's a it's about the fifty 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 sale, and I got to whine and I got to ask, well, what does fifty percent mean? And then another voice talent tries to explain it and, uh, or asks me what, what I mean. Well, well, I don't know. Why are you asking about 50%? So I explain the sale and then I whine. Well, I don't understand what 50% means, you know. So, <laughs> so I get paid to whine. And, I, and oh, and there's, there was a video game where I had to scream. And all the script said was scream. Right. Okay. Am I... Am I screaming like, you know, what kind of a scream? So I just did all of these different screams. And, and then there was another part that said, feel pain. So right, am I <laughs> unconscious? Am I, you know, what kind of pain am I feeling? So there are all these things that you get to explore about yourself uh, doing this work. It's, it's really fun. It sounds like it. It sounds like you, you're loving it and you have a passion for it. And I can see where people get into this and, uh, and really just, I mean, fall in love with it. So I, we, I appreciate you doing those voices. I know it can be hard sometimes on the spot, and we always like to hear that. And our listeners like to hear the, the inside scoop, the inside dish there that, that you can give exactly. us. Exactly. <laughs> we are getting low on time. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Uh, it's just fun to hear your energy, your passion for this. I did want to ask you for those listening who are blind or have some sort of visual impairment and uh, you know, are interested in certain careers or maybe they're getting into a career path, they want to move somewhere else. What piece of advice could you offer up? What strategies would you throw out there um, just to help them out on their journey? And, and maybe if you have any resources as well, that could help for them down the road. The short answer is that, and, and this really kind of goes for anybody, you are your own best advocate. And if you want something to happen, then you need to take action to make that happen, even if it's an itsy-bitsy small step. I don't think that anybody pulls themselves up by their bootstraps. It always takes more than one person. Nevertheless, it's a team effort, and you have to be a part of that team. You, you don't get to just sit back on the couch and direct the team. You have to be in the trenches and be a part of the team. I think it's a great piece of advice for everybody, not just uh, those who are, have some sort of disability, but anyone out there who is looking to improve in their career. Unfortunately, that is going to do it for us here on Moving Up the Ladder. We've been speaking with Satana Howery, a talented voice actor who clearly has a, a lot of skills and ability as well in the music area. And it's just been a pleasure to speak with her today. And she's helped, hopefully, those listening understand uh, the different ways to create a career despite being blind or whatever other challenges you might face. And uh, I hope our listeners can draw some inspiration and motivation from our conversation today. Satana, thanks again for sharing your experiences and perspective with us. It, uh, it's been fun, and I appreciate you coming on. Thanks for having me, Tim. I appreciate it. 
Of course, we also want to hear from you, the listeners. If you do have any thoughts on future topics for us to cover on LJN Radio, just send us an email to ljnradio at localjobnetwork.com. Wishing you success in all your endeavors. I'm Tim Muma. We'll talk to you later.